Hello, and welcome to Pardon the Sound. On today's episode, I had Tane Graves in. He's currently in a punk band called Tight Wire. Um, previously, he was in the band Charlie Siren, the Thundertones. Him and I used to play in a band years ago called Touch Me, Touch You. Um, he's been one of my good friends out of college for years. Um, this was a really special conversation for me. I consider Tane one of the most genuine people I've ever met, and he is a giver. Um, he's given so much to the Minnesota music scene, and he's put so much energy into his music. Um, this was just a real treat for me. It's going to be the longest episode of Pardon the, Pardon the Sound that you probably ever hear, um, but it's partially because um, this is one of my best friends. I respect him. I believe he's a great writer and a great example for kids looking to play music in the local scene. And I just felt like he had a lot to say, and we had never had this conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Um, let's go. All the time, because Aaron's like, you're so fucking stupid for spending all this money at a bar. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'll often go. He's very much a homebody. He is. But I'll often go out. You're and, a man of the people. Well, I like to, you know, I like to get out and tear it up, man. See what situations you can put yourself in. So if it means that, you know, when I go out, like I went out last night, and I had no intention of going out, but I got invited out mm -hmm. with some coworkers. I've never, I've never drank with my coworkers. Hmm. At my at my day job, my regular job, and and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'll go out, and I ended up, you know, having one drink, and then I feel pretty good, and then I'll do something stupid like I went and bought everybody a round of shots, yeah. and and I don't really ever feel bad if I have like a hundred and fifty dollar bar tab because yeah. to me I write that off as like, well, that's a good time, you know, right. I deserved to have, I deserved to have that time. And whereas buying a shot for everyone, like, you know, it's like some camaraderie. There's like, bond, you know, you're building bonds. And um, so that's the way I look at it. But well, there's... Um, but Aaron would call me the dumbest motherfucker in the world. He's like, you're just throwing money away. You could just buy beer for your friends and you could just drink it at home. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Right. I mean, it is a lot of fun, but it's it's all fun. Um, but you're a giver. You classically have always been a giver. Thanks. I I see it that way. Um, well, I just I want everybody to have a good time. Right. right. I don't. It's not so much about. I, I'm not intentionally trying to be any sort of person, but. Right. Well, I, I appreciate you you saying that about me. Yeah. Thank no, you. I w I was thinking that was a great compliment. So I was thinking about that in the history of looking at what you've done throughout music, and I don't know, you've probably heard this from other people, but I was thinking about our whole time that we've been friends and all the different shit we've done. Yeah. Whether it be Thundertones, and I'm like, man, that's really cool. I wish I could be a Thundertone. Or if it's, you know, Touch Me, Touch You, where we're in a band together slapping each other on the face mid-song to see. That was, by the way, that we never said the band name, and I didn't know if we were trying to hide that. No. But the band that we played in together was Touch Me, Touch You. We didn't name the band. We um, didn't. 
Where did that reference even come from? It was a da- it was Dan's thing, right? I have no idea. That was Dan's band. I have no idea where it came from. Yeah. But, you know, from there and then when you started, I think there may have been some stuff in between, but there Charlie Siren in the Charlie Siren house, between that and working at the Triple Rock and Tightwire now, I just consistently see you giving people opportunities. You're giving back to the music scene, doing sound. You're out there constantly interacting with everybody. And it's I don't think it's because you're trying to gain for yourself. I think it's because you enjoy doing it. And there's two types of people on this planet. There's givers and there's takers. And generally, people who are givers find themselves getting more from that. And I think you've been fairly successful. Well, but I think, you know, uh, this whole Charlie Siren house, you gave <coughs> up the house you were living in. So Tane lived in this house in Minneapolis, for those who don't know, where we would throw house shows mm-hmm. and you would invite bands over to play. You would invite good bands. There were some bad bands. We won't say who there were. There, there were arguably, oh, not even arguably, without a question, there were more bad bands than there were good bands. But, but that's you invited whatever. you invited everybody and created an environment and gave your space and your time and a lot of drywall Dude. to make it happen so people could get together and hear music in a, a pretty good environment. I, well, I, I, I tried to do that, I, I, but I have to be honest with you, I hated most of it. I hated most of it. I did it because, well, I really wanted to. Right. But it started out as when you start a band, and this is great. This is great advice because it still happens. Dude, I haven't been to a house show since my house stopped doing shows. I was like in that circuit of house shows because I was doing shows at my house. But I haven't been to a single fucking house show. I mean, maybe I've been to a couple here and there, but I, I know that there's like the, the high watt house. I know there's a couple of houses now mm-hmm. doing shows, but man, I, I don't remember, or I, I don't know of, I, I don't know. I've never been to any of these houses that are doing house shows. Right. Now. And I feel like that's just with age, you know, you just, you, you, so the, the reason I started doing house shows is because I started a band we had nowhere to play. We didn't want to play fucking old man bars. Right. Um, which I love playing old man bars, but we wanted to play, we wanted to play for people who, who wanted to hear that. Who kind we of wanted music. to try to, you know, show our music off to, and you're not going to get, you know, when you're 20 years old, you're not going to get, you know, a bunch of 20 year olds out to a bar. I mean, everyone's obviously, broke. um, everyone's broke or they're not 21 yet or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy how long it's crazy to be 30 because fuck man I start like like we were in a band together when mm-hmm. we were 19 right it doesn't really compute to me that we knew each other at 19 because it so just we've, feels we've like we've known time. each other for like 12 years it doesn't compute to me because it does not feel like that much time we've known each other almost half of our lives yeah it's crazy huh i didn't we're approaching that time where we've almost been out of our parents houses Longer, uh, you know, as uh, as long as we lived with our parents, right? Which seems crazy to me, but you know, it's bound to happen. Um, but no, I, I, we did those shows. I don't want to get too far off track, but we did those shows because 
uh, we I, like, I was like, there's no other way for us to expose our music, um, which, you know, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't resent shows happening at my house, but I, well, it's your personal to, space to my, too. to my, I have, it's a fault of mine and it took me a long time to realize this, but to my fault, I am a person that says yes to everything mm-hmm. and I still get in trouble all the time. I get in trouble with the people that are closest to me in my life because I say yes to shit that I don't actually kind of, that I don't really actually want to do, but I do want to do, like when I say yes to you in the moment, I do want to do it. Mm -hmm. It's just maybe a few days later when I realize like, oh, my plate's pretty full. Like maybe I don't have time to do that. Then I get caught up in that, oh shit, okay. Um, I have to work today, but this guy asked if he could do a show in my basement. Okay, I guess, yeah. And I was letting people do shows at the house, and I wasn't even home. Like I, would, I did shows at your house when you weren't home. Yeah, I, I would leave. I would leave for work. I'd come back to 80 people in my basement. And some, some of those times, I didn't know a single fucking person in my home. Right. In in the place where I slept and that's and where I'm I saying. kept all of my things. But you know what? Nothing bad ever happened. Other than like my house getting wrecked and and me having to like replace drywall. But you know what? That just made me a carpenter, man. Like that taught me skills. I had to cover <laughs> that shit up. But um nothing I have to say in in the 4 years that I let people no, I, it wasn't just me. Like a lot of times when people book shows at their house, it's the people living there are kind of like bringing the bands around or they're kind of signing off on stuff. Yeah. Whereas like to my fault, I'm a yes person. So I, I just say yes. And I was letting people I didn't even really know well at all to mm-hmm. bring all the bands that they like all their friends. I mean, half the time it wasn't even shit that I was like into, you mm-hmm. know, it was like, dude, we had like metalcore shows in my, in my basement. And I'm like, I didn't, I, there was never one moment in my life where I liked metal metalcore really. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Through and through everybody was honest. And if anybody did steal something from my house, they're a piece of shit, but I never noticed. Right. Um, they stole the stuff that I didn't care about. Right. Or they didn't or, or, they didn't steal at all, which it says a lot. Like, you know, there is good in the world. You lots of you it. you give you give a lot, but the more you give, you kind of realize that like a lot of people there there are people that will take advantage of you. There are. And 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 and, and I won't I'll be honest, like I've been taken advantage of plenty. I still feel like that. But sometimes Sometimes people will tell you you're being taken advantage of, and you're actually not. People really do appreciate what you do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't do it for the appreciation or anything like that. I just actually just like being a part of music. Right. And, and it, it, you know, you being, being in music is like, if you're good, if you're really, really, really good, mm-hmm. cool things will happen. But most of the time, it's it's a slow burn, mm-hmm. and you have to you have to eat shit all the time, 
and then cool things kind of happen, but it's mo you're mostly eating shit. And now I'm getting to a point in my life where like now I'm 30 and I, I couldn't do, I, like I could never have bands. I could never have a house in that band's play. You know what I mean? Like I just could not mentally deal with it. You need um, the space or whatever. Yeah. I just, <clears throat> well now I know what it's like to have bands play in your house. Yeah. And then I stopped it and then I was like, Oh, this is kind of nice. There's like, there's like a Wednesday night where I'm coming home and I just want to watch TV and there's not like 60 people in my fucking house that I now feel like I have to entertain. I cleaned up after every one of those shows too. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I believe it. And you're a fair, but I, I, I appreciate it. You're a pretty clean person. Yeah. I'm fairly clean. I think I you know. do pretty well. Um, I, I can't be as clean anymore. I have a, I have the hairiest dog in the world. Mm -hmm. But you know she she's clean she's not dirty but I it's just I just bathe in in hair now no so everything everything <laughs> about happens. my life is is hairy that happens to plenty of people but I love my dogs I love dogs I love your dog is he just chilling yeah he's asleep in the in the bed he's sleeping in the dog bed mm -hmm. fuck yeah. yeah I bought that yesterday it look it's a good bed where'd and you get it Target nice. um so he was trying to eat it yesterday and i kept yelling no and then i was like well i hope he doesn't get scared of touching it and i'm i'm glad that he's using it yeah um but anyhow well, so for how did you find yourself writing music what when you were in the thundertones were you writing music with the thundertones and that was a ska band that you did yeah in college and and before that where did you start where did that impulse start and was it you by yourself or was it always with groups of people well i'll just give you like a full background and if i'm getting off on a tangent just stop just kind of <laughs> like try to you know I'll, I'll easily get derailed talking about this because i love talking about myself that's, um, that's blatantly <laughs> evident. Because uh, no. I've known you for 10 years and I still have these questions. It's like, it's like dude, <laughs> it's like, just shut the fuck up. Stop at, stop, stop talking about yourself. Let us get a word in. Um, you can cut that part out. Um, <laughs> so the way, the, the way things, so when we were talking about music, how we grew up or whatever, you, right. you grew up with Motown, which is infinitely cooler than stuff i grew up with but i still think the shit i grew up with was pretty fucking cool um so on my drive here today i was listening to van halen yeah and that is one of my all-time favorite bands i don't give a shit about what anybody thinks i love that band um and that was the first it was acdc and van halen that my dad showed me when i was a kid you know and, and acdc is what got me into playing guitar you know it's it's funny you say that because i distinctly remember somebody telling me i think it was maybe whelan heard it through another person like dan yeah. just really fucking loves acdc that's why he plays an sg <laughs> and i was just like what they're not lying and i mean I, that's I why i bought just, it i was just like i've known tane a long time we've the never way, discussed acdc once <laughs> no that's true well that's that's because at that point in my life i wasn't like backing them hard but but like but there was a number, a number of years where you, where you're trying to tell people like, no, John Mayer, dude, he rips. Like, mm -hmm. like I was trying to tell all my friends who are into punk, like, no, dude, like listen to these fucking riffs cool that Malcolm, Malcolm and, and Angus, right? Like they, like some of them, a lot of them are very simple, but they, they like, 
you just can't get anything better like that like the the soul of rock and roll is is that bluesy mm-hmm. fucking like that that bluesy riff um you don't gotta tell me that dude it just <laughs> it's it's that it's that subtlety of blues and then you like and, and you don't over, like i love distortion and, sure. and the band i play in it, we use a lot of it but dude that that distortion where back in like the seventies and shit where they they were literally just overdriving their amps super mm-hmm. hard there there wasn't like all, all these pedals and shit it was like you fucking plug your guitar into your amp you fucking crank it up until it's so goddamn loud that it distorts mm-hmm. and nothing sounds better than that and then playing like that bluesy riff and then you it, like it's just clean enough to where you get all the tones out of all the strings you're playing you know because yep. i feel like there's so many times where when you're playing and you have too much distortion it's just like well that's why you just play a power chord mm-hmm. is because there's no fucking point like dude we were playing so distorted in charlie siren that that i wasn't even playing the full three power chord i was just playing the two yeah, because you, couldn't, the two distingu- notes. you, you can't couldn't really distingu- distinguish. You, you, you can't distinguish happening. the octave. So why even put it there? Mm-hmm. Just fucking play the two two notes that matter, and it sounds much cleaner. Um, but uh, anyways, all right. So this is where you're letting me get off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have no lasso. <coughs> um, lasso. Um, so ACDC and Van Halen were like two big ones for me. Because that was what my dad listened to. And the Rolling Stones sure. were great. I'm trying to think of what else my dad showed me. He showed me a lot of stuff now that I'm like, I that, that just never lived on with me. Like Def Leppard, I think I was really oh, into when I was. That's where you and I disagree, my friend. Oh, you're a big Def Leppard guy? Def Leppard, I just, Hysteria and Pyromania. Dude, well, you know what? I will actually, rip that shit in my car. Actually, I, I, I will agree with you. If, if I'm around the right people... I'll own up to it and I'll sing photograph, you know, I'll, I'll fucking rock it. I don't have to be around the right people. You'll and just it's do because it. Because I just fucking love that band. Dude, I want to go. We should go to karaoke. Dude. We should like rip some karaoke and just go do all the stuff. I'll do it. Dude, let's do that. I, I was actually just thinking I was listening to Panama today and I was like, this would be a great karaoke song yep. just to act like an asshole. <laughs> um, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that like, um, that my dad showed me. He was super in. Uh, he, he really into heart. Heart was a big one for me too. Yeah, my dad was like, I, I, you know, and uh, I think back in those days, like, it, you, music was awesome because you didn't have so much of a choice. Right. If you it, bought a, if you bought a record, like you and I even know that. Like, whereas a lot of kids don't know that anymore. Like, people like whatever is like hot now. Mm-hmm. But like, there there was a point where like, yeah, MTV was kind of guiding trends. But if you bought, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to commit twenty fucking dollars for a record. Mm-hmm. And there was there there's records I own that I'm sure to this day I would not have liked, but I spent $20 on it and I didn't, I, it was, you know, you're playing roulette. You, you're like, Oh, I like that one song that I heard. And you hope the rest are and good. And you hope the rest is good. But if it's not, you almost like listen to it enough to where you convince yourself it's good because you spent fucking 20 bucks. I remember CDs were anywhere from like 1399 
to twenty one ninety nine. Especially if you're going to Sam Goody. That well, that's like that's where like, I bought all my music. Was like we had an on, had we had stuff. an on cue. We same, had an on same. cue. Which Our is Sam same. Goody turned into an on cue. Really, that's that's reverse. Because where I got my first guitar was an on cue. Our on cue turned into a Sam Goody. I think that might have been what happened to us too. I can't really remember. I think so too. Because but, I think on cue was right before Sam Goody. Um, but forever to this day, the thing that shaped me was we had an on cue in our shitty mall and I had a punk friend that worked at on cue and and her name was Brittany. I'm still friends with her today. Um, she would, she would order all the punk records that she could. Like I think fat, fat and epitaph had contracts with, you know, like, it, it was it was still like kind of the bigger punk labels. You right. weren't getting like Lookout Records or or Alternative Tentacles or or weird like lower tier independents. Right. But you were getting like Fat Records and Epitaph, um, and so that was like my ch- that was my upbringing in in punk. But but the first thing that turned me into punk is like my my cousin Paul. You know Paul. Yeah yeah sure. Um, Paul brought over in two, I think it was like 2001, whenever Take Off Your Pants and Jacket by Blink-182 came out. Sure. He brought that over to my house because he got it for Christmas. And the double entendre I figured out like three years ago and I really hate myself. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. It, I mean, I think that, it, you know, we were kids when it Take came off out. Your pants you just don't think jacket. about it. I thought yeah. it was a, a jacket. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought they were being literal. I um, I was just like, it would make sense to take off your jacket for that act. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought there was another person involved, but um, I guess that's the wishful thinking I live with to this day. Yeah. Anyhow. Why didn't they just call it get naked? What? What's what going on here? Thinking? Oh, now I get it. Um, but he, so he brought that CD over to my house and he was like, you got to listen to this. My, my brother, my brother bought it for me. And obviously we were listening to it like the older cooler people in our lives we're listening to because that's just you know you're young and impressionable but i fucking hated it the Did first really? time the first time i listened to blink 182 i was like this shit sucks give me van halen give me acdc whatever you're trying to show me sucks so much and and he left the cd at my house not not on purpose he just had to leave and then he just forgot it and you and turned I, into David Spade and Chris Farley in the car singing The Carpenters. Yeah. Don't you remember you told me you love me? Well, I'm not going to turn Yeah. I'm not going to turn it off. Well, if, you, if you like it. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> um, but I listened to it more and more. And then they had the um, they had bonus tracks on it, which were really... I, I was I grew up in a house where we were very liberal with swearing and Same. awful things being said, and I think that shit's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love awful things being talked about. Um, <laughs> and the, and I remember listening to the record, and the thing that he didn't show me was the last track, which was like, when you fucked grandpa, did he kiss you soft and tender? And I was rolling on the fucking floor. I called him and I went and spent the night at his house that night. And we just listened to that song over and over, dying, fucking laughing. And I was like, okay, Blink-182 is kind of cool. And so I bought the I bought the CD because I wanted I wanted that 
that song. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the priv- this is the pivotal moment. So I didn't at, at still at that point I really didn't like Blink that much at all. It just wasn't grasping me. Mm-hmm. But that song was so fucking funny. My my beer's empty. By oh, the way, you're I'm good. not gonna I'm let not it drop worried. on your amp. Um, but I wanted that song. And the thing I didn't know is they sold like four versions of that album. They had different bonus tracks at the end. And so I bought an album that actually didn't have any bonus tracks. It just had the 13, the, the the 13 songs that were intended for the album, um, which is a great fucking marketing scheme. When you're selling music, come out with four different records and all your super fans buy four of your album. Dude, that is such a brilliant thing. Did you, um, did you end up buying all four? No, I bought a few of them. But the thing about it is it was still like roulette because they didn't tell you what CD was in the fucking thing. You just bought the CD and you opened oh, shit. it. You so opened it was it. like a blind, you're, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, so it was like take off your pants and jacket. So they had like the the plane taking off. They had uh, pants and then they had the jacket album. Mm-hmm. And every album you opened it up and you saw, oh, I got... So the the album Paul had with the the fucking grandpa song was the pants record. It was it right. was the green CD. Um and I went and bought the album. I got my dad to buy it. Right, cuz we were how old? Oh, not 18, 13. Didn't you no, have to 13? be si- 16 or so to buy? This is 2001. Do you, this when, is 2001. I was born people, in 1989, so I was 11 years old. Right. We're both 80s kids. It's cool. Um, yeah, it is cool. Um, but for the parental advisory sticker, when they enforce that, because they don't anymore. I'm, oh, yeah. I wholeheartedly believe they don't. Well, they don't sell music anymore. True. Kids have fucking YouTube. You can find anything on YouTube, man. Right, right. If you look hard enough, you can even find porn on YouTube. I just found that out like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. It doesn't stay up for you're, long, but you're, it, it you're happens. You're a great explorer. Um, so, but anyhow, so did you have to have your dad buy it for you? I had to, yeah. Okay. And, my, and, and fortunate for me, my dad was weirdly like trying to be like a good example that day because he was like, I'm not going to buy you the... The unedited version. I don't know if I pissed him off or something, but like he used to let me listen to Richard Pryor with him when I was like eight. So I'm like, mm-hmm. why the, why are you now drawing the line on swearing? He must have been upset with me or something. There must have been something that happened. Right. Um. But anyways, they didn't have that album. They didn't have the edited album. They just had the one CD in the jewel case. Well, the jewel case CDs didn't have bonus tracks on them. I didn't know that. I just thought I was getting the album with the two songs. And I was literally, had I got the album with just the two songs at the end, mm-hmm. I probably would have listened to that bonus track and laughed about it for a couple hundred times, if mm-hmm. that. And then I would have written off Blink-182 as a band. But since I bought the, since I bought the CD and it didn't have the bonus track, I was forced you can't you didn't have spotify you didn't have anything i was forced to listen to that one that that album and like, i had to like it cuz my dad fucking bought it for me like you if said you committed it, the money to it and you the commit time. the money to it so you're you're like well th- i'm going to like this I, I there's no way around it so um <clears throat> what ha- so what happened is i fell in love with it and i thought it ripped mm-hmm. um and that's what turned me into like, uh, 
you know, then they were on MTV and I fell in love with MTV. It got me super into pop culture. So I was super into all that shit. I then, mm-hmm. then I started listening to My Chemical Romance and sure. Newfound Glory and I dug down and found all those bands that were doing it big. And the thing that people write off about those bands and, and I'm a prime example is, is those bands, yeah, they're super poppy and a lot of people don't, don't like them, but they're great. They're great bands, and they also, in every interview, would talk about the bands that they were listening to, like that inspired sure. them, like No Effects, Descendants, Bad Religion, um, and and from there, I started going down the rabbit hole of like, well, if Blink likes the Descendants and Bad Religion and No Effects, then I will too, and then you get into those bands because Blink likes them, and Blink was my heroes. Um, it was a snowball. Effect. And so it was just a snowball. And then I would listen to interviews of what no effects liked. And they were, you know, and then I found myself getting so far down that I turned into like a fuck blink 182. <laughs> like I only want to listen to the germs inception and blats and like all these bands that are really, really, that are actually punk. So I had that weird like middle school phase where I was listening to only punk and I was such a fucking idiot because now I go back and like listen to like some bands that I gave a pass on that like that are super bad like anti-flag dude and I don't care who hears this anti-flag is a bad (laughs) band. Um, (laughs) It's a fucking bad band. They're terrible. And, and weirdly, I was like, oh, I only listen to the Dead Kennedys and, and Fear and, and all these punk bands. And I was like, but, you know, Anti-Flag is like pretty fucking cool, too. They're really punk. Um, <laughs> but fuck Blink-182. I guess I, I, I'll, I'll retract that. Anti-Flag isn't a bad band. But in comparison to Blink-182 for what they do and, the, like, the marketing and the everything about it, they're right there with Blink. What I'm trying to say is it's stupid for me to write off a band like Blink but still think Anti-Flag is cool because it's still the same polished shit. It's just, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but anyways, so that kind of molded me into the thing that Blink taught me is you don't have to be a good musician to be in a famous band. You know, even though even though I would argue that they are great musicians, but the, like the thing that I took away from Blink is like, up until that point, I'm like, I'm like, oh, every song doesn't need a guitar solo. Right. And I think I was afraid to be that kind of guitar player. Like, like, whereas like, you know, John Mayer and stuff intrigued you. You were like, man, these guys rip. Like the, it takes talent to do this. I was like, man, that seems way too hard. I'll never be good like that. There's, there's part of me that feels that way to this day. And I know I'm never going to be that good. Um, (laughs) Well, you could be. You're a good guitar player. You're a great guitar player. You're better than I am. (laughs) Back to you. But, um, um, but uh, the thing that turned me on about Blink is like, I was like, well, you can just learn power chords and you can still make a great song. It's not so much that they were bad. They're not bad. They're very, very talented they're they're so tight and tom DeLong is such an act like that's a weird thing is all i'll tell everybody tom DeLong is actually a great fucking guitar player he can play all downstroke like fucking palm mute parts and not miss like not be off i i guarantee you when he records he's fucking right on the grid every time and he's downstroking the whole fucking thing which if you're not a guitar player that's really hard it's to do it's a lot of it's endurance super fucking hard um 
when he's but a great, at that at that point i didn't understand that like i thought it was like oh you need to like have those ripping solos and i'm like watching people's fingers move all like super crazy i'm like i can never do that and then once you learn like how to play some of those solos you're like actually that's not even that bad like it just looks it kind of looks hard it's daunting while you're learning yeah it's daunting while you're learning it but once you get there you're like man he's you just ride like these five notes and you put them in different orders and you fucking bend the shit out of them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you learn how to do the pinch harmonic thing, you know, like it's all just a bag of tricks. Yep. And if you put it all in the right order, it sounds really cool and also just looks badass and looks a lot harder than it actually is. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not writing off that like guitar playing is an art form and people are massively massively good john mayer being a guitar player who's good that i you, you can't sit it's like it's like if i were to sit down and try to play drums drums with travis barker it's it, not gonna it, happen. it's not gonna happen if you sat down with john mayer nope. it, there's just no he's a professional he's been in the fucking industry forever right and there's a reason he is so when so when you say that it makes me wonder you started playing guitar in the phase where you were really into acdc is the vibe i'm getting right no no i didn't get a guitar until i was into blank so I okay was, i was 11 when i got into blank and my parents bought me a guitar when I was 12. Okay. My mom wanted me to learn piano first because she wanted, I think she wanted to test me. She was like, if you're serious about music, then learn an instrument you're not so fond of. And um, I've learned piano now. Yeah. Part of me wishes I would have learned it first. Sure. I, I totally, I'm with you on that. Yeah. My my parents, when I was growing up, it was, uh, I wanted to take piano lessons and do all that, but because my sister was such a colossal fuck up in piano lessons, they're like, well, it really didn't work out for the first one. So, she didn't like it? So we spent money for years and years and years, and she can't play a lick, so we're not going to do that for you. Yeah. And then sure as shit, I really really gravitated towards music and when someone finally gave me a guitar for free it was just like sure we'll let you try it and no, then totally. i here i am i have this whole rack of fucking guitars and you know it's you got a lot of nice guitars it's it's a good chunk of you know my being as a person but it yeah. just kind of by accident they were like hmm <laughs> No, that didn't work the first time, so let's not try this. We're just going to get you a guitar, and we'll buy you a cheap one. You probably won't play it. That's what every. That's all, all my family told me. They, they bought me like the cheapest guitar ever, and they were like, yeah, you'll play it for a couple weeks, and then you'll never go back to it. And they, I mean, I, I knew in my heart they were wrong. Right. Um, so when did you transition into playing with other people? I Well, I was fortunate enough to where... So I'm a bass player now. Right. And and really what led to me buying a guitar is is I was I remember looking at basses. Mm -hmm. I remember holding them and playing them and wanting one more. But really? but my cousin Paul he he had already gotten a bass. So so Paul had a bass for a couple a few months, mm -hmm. maybe like 4 4 months before I ever had a guitar. Um, and he got an acoustic guitar. Him and I took guitar lessons together. Um, but he had, he had already had a bass and he'd already decided that like, you know, before we even had instruments, we had decided we're going to be in a band together. Sure. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create a band. Um, 
and we're going to sound like Blink. Sure. So that's that's when it happened is we were into Blink. We agreed on Blink as music and he got a bass, he got an acoustic guitar, I got an electric guitar and we took guitar lessons together. Um he kept he he just was like, "Well, you already have an electric guitar." He didn't have one. Mm-hmm. He just had an acoustic and, a, and an electric bass. Sure. So he he was like, "I'm just going to be the bass player." And I was like, "All right, well, I guess I'm going to be the guitar player." Mm-hmm. But really, I think in and I I I just didn't think about it really that hard. But now being a bass player, like I always actually wanted to be a bass player. It like shocks me actually. Yeah, I I I've taken to bass and to be honest with you, I from here on out, I don't know that I have I love playing guitar. Yeah. I like it as a songwriting tool, but my heart really being in a band, I love being the bass player. I've I and maybe maybe it kind of developed because I I've historically played in in bands where I was always very concerned about the bass playing. It's 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 a foundation thing, especially in punk. It's like you need to have the right bass tone. You need to have somebody that's really driving the shit out of the you know the the foundation of the song. Well, right, and, especially, and it should be noted that you've played in a lot of three piece. <laughs> projects where that is extra instrumental totally yeah you i mean and like blink they're a three-piece yeah you have to especially if you're going to play in a punk band with as a three-piece you have to have a bass player that's going to hold it down and i do a pretty okay job but i really love playing bass Mm -hmm. um i think as as long as i have a say in it any band i play in from here on out I'll i'll probably be like no, I'm gonna be. I'm I'm a bass player, okay. but I, I will I will play guitar with bands. I still love playing guitar. Um, but what I was trying to say is, I just Paul and I started our first band. I was the guitar player. He was a bass player. And in, at first, him and I kind of wrote songs together equally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that first band we played in was um, the Fat Kids. Okay, we were called the Fat Kids. And then we changed it to anorexic fat kid because we thought we were being, you know, uh, clever. Cheeky. Yeah. Can um, we say cheeky? I think yeah, we yeah, thought cheeky, you were being cheeky. cheeky. We, we thought we were being cheeky. We also thought it was very clever. Like, oh, you can't have an anorexic fat kid. That's, you, that's not how this works. That's just, that just doesn't work. Um, and we thought it was fucking hilarious. I don't think anybody else thought it was funny. Because um, <laughs> there are fat kids and anorexic kids. Yeah. <laughs> kind of depressing. Yeah, it's pretty sad now. But, you know, we didn't <laughs> give a shit about people's feelings. Um, so we did Anorexic Fat Kid for a number of years. Um, probably two years we recorded an EP. And for kids that, like, all listen to Blink, yeah. like, that first EP, I still have that music. It is still to this day, some of the heaviest shit we ever wrote. Like, it, we were listening to Blink every day, and what we came out with was a thrash punk record. It didn't sound anything like Blink at all. It sounded... Because uh, we didn't think about, like... We didn't think about things like the fact that, like, oh, if we want to sound like Blink... I think that was our intention, was to sound like Blink. Right. But we didn't think to learn how to play Blink songs. Like, when we first started a band, we dove immediately into writing music right we did not we did not learn other bands songs we didn't focus on how they wrote them 
we just were like, we want to be our own band. We want to write songs. And then we just started writing riffs. Well, a lot of them were really bad. So it ended up just kind of like sounding like a lot of it was like minor key stuff. And we were just kind of going off what we thought sounded good. But right. every every song was, the, was just the same riff for a minute and a half. There mm-hmm. was it, the songs didn't really move around a lot. There was a chorus where we'd repeat something, and then there was like a verse where we'd like maybe go to palm muting, or it would just go to bass and drums. Mm-hmm. But that was the extent of our like forming a song. Is you write a riff, that's the song. For the verse, it's either going to be bass and drums, or I'm going to go to palm muting. Then for the chorus, we open up, and then we all just yell one line over and over again. Right. And that was our whole entire first EP. Then that band broke up. Then I started um, playing drums. Well, I I learned how to play drums for Anorexic Fat Kid because we didn't have a drummer. Okay. And I had to teach our friend Chris Iwan to play drums. So I... You learned so you could teach. I learned so I could so we could have a drummer cuz I had no interest in being the drummer. So Chris Iwan bought a drum set and I sat behind his drums, learned how to play the beats that I wanted him to play, mm-hmm. taught him how to do that. And then after that, people some high school kids knew that I was a drummer, so I got asked to join a Creedence Clearwater revival cover band. That is something I've never heard. You yeah, say. so I I joined a Creedence uh, cover band, and I think we even uh, covered like some Against Me as well. Random, which is random, yeah. But I played drums in that band because I'm from a small town. No one knows drummers, but I could, and I was not a good drummer, but I was like passable to sure. to play. That. In a small town, that's what you need. Yeah, to that's yeah, that oh, that's all we had. Fake it till you make it. So I I did that for some years. Then um, there was like an awkward thing between me and the guitar player. The guitar player was dating this girl. They broke up, and I went to a house party, and then ended up we ended up fucking, and <laughs> and then he found out about it. So that band ended very quickly after that. And then, but it was like perfect timing because Paul had picked up the guitar, and he was like, hey. I've been rethinking anorexic fat kid while you've been off doing this other shit. And he had, he had a a guitar riff. And then that's when like songwriting really happened was, was probably like my sophomore year of high school. Paul had this guitar riff and we went, we definitely started writing music like blank then. Right. Because he had like this really catchy riff and then our songs got more complex. We met, um, Eddie, who was in the Thundertones with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had our friend Chris Johnson, who was a huge, huge Slipknot fan. But again, we didn't have a choice to play with a good a drummer who was like, well, Chris is a good drummer. And he'll do and it. And he'll do it. So we're just going to be a pop punk band who has an awkward metal drummer. Right. And that's, you know, all of our songs had like double kick in it, mm-hmm. you know, but it, we never like chugged. We never did chuggy parts or whatever. Even though he fought us to do that all the time, we're like, <laughs> "Fuck no!" Okay, if you want to play your stupid double kick patterns through like a punk beat or whatever, fine. I guess we can live with that. So that's kind of how that band formed, and then we started really through Eddie because Eddie was just always talented at bass. Eddie, Eddie's talent makes. 
a lot of sense because I've known him for a while now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the front end, when you explain kind of Eddie in general, it doesn't make a lot of sense because it just makes sense to him. It works. Yeah. When he plays and sings, it just works. Yeah. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Eddie have like almost perfect pitch? He Yes. He, he is someone who you don't have to touch his vocals where like me i can get pretty close on on record but you still kind of have to you still have to touch up my vocals a little bit in spots especially Mm -hmm. if i'm trying to hit some like good harmonies you know sure but eddie eddie can sing things perfectly he can play ripping bass parts that are all over the fretboard while While he's singing. singing perfectly and you can't even tell that it's two people doing that so he was, Eddie was a big part of our songwriting, and then the the band for, reformed as Eddie on bass, me on guitar, Paul just vocals, sure, and then and then Chris on drums, um, and that's really where we 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 made our first record. We we did our first tour in between, like the summer between me being a junior and me being a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, we you went on toured fr- while in high school. We toured. How we did far our, did you guys go? To Denver. That's long fucking it's, it's, way. It's for pretty high far. Kids. It, to us, it was insane. It was like we were going to a different part of the world because I'd never been to Denver. My first time in Denver was with my friends. We were in high school on summer break, and we played in downtown Denver to no one. I think there was maybe ten people at the show. That's but we still, still insane. We still did that and and our our friend Taman booked the tour for us okay. which i still thank him today for um but um and then and then at, then chris chris got sick of playing pop punk at, right after that tour we came back chris was like hey i'm moving to sioux falls because i want to join this metal band i just don't want to play pop punk sure like whatever that's fine preference thing. so through high school Eddie, Paul, and I just kept writing songs together. We didn't have a drummer, but we kept writing songs, and that's what ended up being the Thundertones. We all moved to Minneapolis because we wanted to start the Thundertones, but we didn't know any. We didn't know drummers. We didn't know other people to play in the band. Um. So then we came up. Paul and I went to school. That's how I met you. Right. That's how we met all the people we know. Um, Travis Bree started playing drums with us. Um. And that's how Thundertones formed. Then through us, I think being mutual friends of Travis Brees, mm-hmm. that's how you and I got linked up. Mm-hmm. Then I got linked up to playing, playing with you and Dan and Austin because I think we were like the four dudes that liked pop punk. Oh man, um, the thing the thing about Touch Me Touch You for me, yeah, was I felt like such a weird, uncool. Like I wasn't in any group yeah. because. I think what you and a lot of people will say about me is I am stubborn and I am my own person. Totally. And I... Not to a fault, though. No, I just... I like what I like. And when something comes up where I disagree with it, I'm not afraid of the confrontation to say, hey, you know what? Not into that. But I did really like pop punk music. Yeah. And those guys at the time with Dan and Austin and Adam Beyer... Um, oh yeah, I forgot Adam was in that band. They did for it a while. as a three piece. Yeah, and I remember thinking, man, I really want to play guitar in that band. That's literally what I want to do. 
Yeah. And I wanted to be in that band so bad. And did they, you ask to be in that band or did they ask you? They said they were trying out guitars and I was like, hey, I, I think I could do it. I think I could do it. Yeah. And um, I showed up to Austin's place and they're like, okay, well, let's just jam on some of these songs. And we played the songs and I knew the parts because I learned them. Uh-huh. And they're like, wow, you learned the songs? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yeah. I really Isn't that what do, I was supposed to do? I really want to do this. It's weird. It's, and then I just, I stuck. I stayed with them. Yeah. It's weird when bands... And I don't know if Adam just didn't have time or I never really got that backstory, so I won't speculate on it. Yeah. But then you came in and started playing bass with us, I think because it made sense because, again, we well, you like guys... pop punk and you like pop punk. And yeah. I guess you had the, the time, so you decided, sure, I'll play bass. Well, I just wanted to play with anybody and everybody. I wanted to play with anybody that was remotely in my wheelhouse of music. Sure. And I'm still, still to this day, I'm a very impressionable person. If I like, if I like somebody and they show me music, mm-hmm. even if it's like music that I probably wouldn't like in any other occasion, if I like you as a person and that's something you're into, I'm going to listen to it and I'll probably find ways to like it. Sure. Um, I wasn't super into that world of pop punk that dan was kind of writing to or whatever but once i joined i was all into it i I was all in i loved to this day i think he is a really really great songwriter and i think he writes great pop songs yeah and i liked all those songs and i loved playing them yeah and it was super fucking fun losing my damn mind playing to them you know It That's was like so the nice fun. thing about pop punk too is like even the band the band I play in now we're so fucking stripped back, like mm-hmm. it is so much fun to play on stage and just be able to completely let go of the reins because it's like I know the four chords I need to be hitting for this part and this mm-hmm. part and I know we need we I need to change it up with the bridge but like you can just totally let go and just as long as you're on. And you're, I mean, there, there's skill involved, but you can, you can let go. There's not, the songs aren't going to go to a weird place where like, you know, you have to be focused on what everyone else is doing. No, right. you just, as long as everyone else is talented and they know their parts, you can just fucking rock out. And it is a fun genre to play because yep. you can just rip a great sounding song and have total fun and and not be worried about where it's gonna go um right but yeah and 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 you so with the thundertones when you guys were doing that ska band um it was a ska band it was a weird ska band though But but that took a lot of focus because we went to weird places because eddie's a fucking maniac Eddie's a maniac, and you met other maniacs like Eric Lamp. Yeah. And they really, really appreciate, um, they appreciate composition. Yeah. Is what I will say, where they want to do interesting things musically. Yeah. And I'm not saying we don't or, you know, other people don't, but they wanted to, okay, we're going to do this, and it's going to hit this wall and go somewhere completely different. Yeah. Was yeah. that a group effort writing those tunes or did someone come to the table? No, that was that was Eddie. That's where it started was Eddie like through anorexic fat kid, Eddie kind of just laid back and he, he he would write crazy ripping bass parts. Sure. But he he would let Paul and I kind of run that that train. He, mm-hmm. Like we we would just do it. 
Um, and, and in our heads, we were like, no, we stick to a form. It's, it's pop punk. It's gotta be, you know, there's, you know, we start with the chorus or we start with an intro. Then we go to the verse. We get to the chorus as quickly as possible. We either go back to like the intro riff or we go straight to the second verse. And it, you know, there's a format and you stick mm -hmm. to that format because it works. But with Eddie, I think it started to drive him nuts. And once we started Thundertones and he was going to be the singer, he had all these songs prepped and ready. Right. And and it, it very much transitioned from being Paul and I kind of running things to Eddie really being like, no, no, we're going to do the Thundertones, but it's I'm singing the songs. I'm the singer and I'm going to write these songs. And we we didn't none of us had a problem with it because right, he wrote right. great songs. They yeah, were. It, it turned into, there, there are uh, uh, probably a few types of songwriters, but in my opinion, there's two big ones. There's, there's people who try to stick to the format, who try to write the greatest song that you can, you know, present, you can, you can package it up really nice. And it's like, this is the format. This is, you know, this is the math behind it. We, we do everything exactly to this T and this comes out with a great catchy song. Weezer. That's yeah. And that's where I live in my songwriting is, is I, 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 but I also playing in a weird band with Eddie kind of tainted me in a way where sometimes I get sick of that shit. Like mm -hmm. I'll, I'll drive Paul crazy in Tightwire because Paul is very, very, everything is very formatted. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it has a reason that it's there. There's a deliberate reason that Paul, you know, shortened the verse. Right. And, and, and everything has to be in like four by four or, or two by two. It's like, you know, it has to go, it can't go three times cause that's uneven. That's fucking weird. Right. But it, you know, that's what Paul, that's what makes him a great songwriter. Paul is an amazing songwriter. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I drive him a little bit nuts because I fit in that that weird world too, where I'm trying to format things. But Eddie's kind of fucked me up because now it's like sometimes I get too bored. I'm like, well, I I have two ideas that could go here, rather than me just doing this pre-chorus this first time, and just just picking one. I wrote two pre-choruses that sound good, so I want to do a pre-chorus this first time, but then I want to do it different. This right time. and that drives paul nuts he's like why would you do that you're why would you do that you it doesn't make any goddamn sense um but girl like playing music with eddie it was always like no we're gonna write songs like it doesn't even necessarily ever have to go back to a chorus like there doesn't even necessarily have to be a fucking chorus well, usually there was but it didn't matter i don't know how eddie would react to this statement but I think he would appreciate it. I'm not. Yeah, but, I'm not saying. No, no, no. That I'm not saying way. what you're saying. I'm saying Eddie oh. writes music in the sense of he could write a fucking musical where it's conversational totally. from the start to the end, where it's it's a mood where you're going from this emotion to that emotion, and it's a complete thought, but it's not necessarily ever repeating itself. I know you guys had choruses that would repeat itself because yeah. that's that's a pop song thing, and I think if you're involved there will be choruses and songs yeah but with eddie there i think there's a level of i think he could write musical music yeah. like full-on like broadway musical like rock music yeah he can he can tell a story he exactly we, and it's, we, it doesn't need the format we won't give too much away on that because you should just have eddie come talk to you about it's this. true it's yeah. true throw him on the on the planner yeah. Because I'm sure he would love to come talk to you about 
And I would love to listen because this is a conversation I haven't even ever had with Eddie. It's just been it's just been an uh, understanding that Eddie just likes to. And Eddie, you're right. You're reacting to what he brings to the table. Eddie, Eddie would if Eddie wrote a a musical that would be right in his wheelhouse. Eddie loves musicals, Mm -hmm. and I think he could write a really great one because he can tell a story. But his story doesn't need to have form like the the regular formatting of a pop song or so. So. After the Thundertones, was Charlie Siren the, well, we did Touch Me, Touch You. You and I kind of played yeah. with that, and Dan wrote the songs. Um, I think we, he, we all got out of college. We all it, got, it was done after that. Right. Dan and I got in a fight, mm-hmm. and then I think you'd already quit. I quit. I you, followed you a lady quit. who I shouldn't have followed. You quit. It's funny that you, that you had to quit the band to have a relationship because oh because i was we were living an hour and a half away from each other so it was uh yeah that's constantly driving back and forth so it was just like well i can keep playing shows and we are going to continue to i think the plan was to travel more and more and more so it came down to a point where at that point i wasn't really happy with the band because i didn't feel creatively fulfilled fulfilled Um, yeah i didn't i didn't feel like you know maybe my ideas were getting carried through the songs as much as I liked. Yeah. So I was just like weighing one option versus the other is I can keep playing these songs and just kind of, I wanted to dictate what I would play more so than I thought I was getting to. Yeah. So I ended up just being like, okay, well I really like this girl. Well, I'm just going to yeah. pursue that instead. I think that's the, the good call is, is when you're in a band with somebody and um, with people and you're just not getting to, you know, I, I, I do, I'm, I'm a strong believer in hearing people's ideas out, but always keeping the bigger picture in mind. And when those, when things like that aren't really working out that well, that's when either somebody has to leave or the band has to stop. And, and, you know, well, right. when you're, when you're disagreeing, that was a big thing with Charlie Siren is we had a lot of disagreements over stupid shit that it's like, this isn't how a band should actually run. Like we should all just want to play the same shit. Right. Um, but anyways, that band, dude, that band was, that band was a blast. It was so much fun. I'm so happy that Dan and Austin, uh, had us in that band. And that was, you know, it was Dan's idea and Dan and Austin lived together. And so I don't know. I view it as Dan and Austin's band, but that was, dude, that was, that's how I always, my favorite, favorite year of of being in college we had Agreed. so much fucking fun doing that band so much fun and i remember we would go out to south dakota or where winona one of the far off places that felt forever away <laughs> Dude, to me yeah we never but, we never did cool shit like we never went to milwaukee or played chicago or right. anything and then charlie siren starts yeah okay so so i'll, I'll just give a a quick synopsis of of what happened so you quit uh, I popped on guitar, Wes did bass, and we played a college show um, in in Brookings, South Dakota. What, we played one show without you, pretty much. Then you had a cage fight, and the rest of them are and dead then, now? 
No, and then Dan and I started writing songs together. Sure. And and it just it it, it just didn't work as well. It, like I th- I think that when you have too many like hard headed songs, like people who are like I'm uh, we're you're we're a writer, writer, I'm a writer, and I I, writer. I wasn't I wasn't being respectful. Wes is a writer. But Wes is a writer too. But I wasn't being respectful of the fact that like you know Dan. It, you know, it was Dan's project. Yes. You know, which which very much I think so. that a lot of times people need to realize, like, oh, even though you join a band, like sometimes it's their thing. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just have to realize that I joined this band and they had all the songs before I joined and mm-hmm. I'm playing their songs. It's expected to go forward as it kind of being their thing and sometimes you have to live with that and sometimes it works out like in paul paul and i with tightwire it worked out where paul is you know kind enough to let me do a lot of writing and it Not works paul your us. cousin from yeah no, fat kid paul, but, paul kettler but who, paul who I from in, tightwire. In, in tightwire with um but um yeah so so kind of uh, so we played one show without you. Mm-hmm. It was awkward. We hated Wes. It's because I'm awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But we, lo- I, I, I actually, you know, Wes and I have like this weird love hate relationship where I think Wes has always loved me, and I've hated him a couple times because I'm kind of a prick. But, um, <laughs> but him and I are cool now. We we've talked online a couple times, I think. Um, but uh, but yeah, we did we did one show without you. Then we very quickly broke up because Dan and I got in a we got in a fight about songwriting or, or it, it was something stupid, mm-hmm. and then things just yeah it was like well he, Dan's gonna move and everything so then Austin and I moved to Sioux Falls together sure because that's where Austin was from so we I, I moved not, I forgot that you guys moved to Sioux Falls for whatever yeah. reason I thought you guys my recollection which is incorrect was that you guys went to denver no 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 so you went to sioux falls so and you did the studio i i started dating my college crush so all the the whole time we went to school with with shelby fisher and she was my crush all through college and we we hung out and we became friends but we never nothing ever happened between us until she moved away well she moved to omaha and and then her and i kind of started dating long distance and then austin was moving to sioux falls sioux falls was only a two-hour drive from omaha so i was like fuck it i'll just move to sioux falls with austin and him and i were moved down there to start a recording studio, sure. which we did unsuccessfully. Well, we we made some money, yeah, but we didn't make a ton. Um, we learned a lot, and that was cool. Um, and what else happened? Well, what um, what from that point then? Because I know you ended up moving back to how did that transition? To- but how did how did you guys? Because she was obviously in Nebraska. You were in. Sioux Falls. Yeah. And we all went to college in Minneapolis, but yeah. how did you decide that that was where you're going to go back? Was it just because there was the biggest core of people you knew or um, the scene you were comfortable with? How did I, that happen? I just was, I had a good time living in Sioux Falls, but when Austin and I were kind of done doing recording together and stuff and the band, the band we had started together just really like we didn't do anything with it really sure we I do you remember we what that was called 
Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm trying. To. I don't because we didn't really do much. Sure. We, we. I think we wrote like maybe four songs. Right. And um, and then so what happened was, you know, I was doing this back and forth thing. Like on the weekends, I'd go visit Shelby in Omaha, or she'd come up and visit me, and she wanted to play in a band. And at first, I was really against it, but then she somehow talked to Wes. And they had decided they were going to play music. And I, I, before, before the band talk, I was like, I'm going to move back to Minneapolis because I don't know why I moved to Sioux Falls, but I don't want to live in South Dakota. Like, sure. It's like, I can't, I can't just live in a, you know, city. Minneapolis isn't that big, but it's a great city. I can't just live in Minneapolis and then down, downgrade. And then, right. go, you know, so I, I told her I was going to move back and she, at first I think she didn't like it, but then she, she very quickly, Shelby came around to it. Shelby presented me with the idea of doing stuff with Wes. Um, we took a couple trips up to Minneapolis to find a place to live. We did writing sessions with Wes. Wes already had some cool songs. Yeah. Him and I started writing long distance back and forth with each other, like song writing. And by the time we came up there, we had like our first EP. So we recorded it together, fought about it. And then, um, and then I lived in Minneapolis again. And then the progression of Charlie Siren just kind of cycled. It's like, you know, I learned a lot about myself being in that band. We cycled through every fucking member in that band. It was the, the first incarnation of Charlie Siren was Wes, Shelby, Travis, and I, which was great. Right. And then um, Wes left. Um, so it was just Shelby, Wes, or Shelby, Travis, and I. Um, we toured on that lineup for a while as a three piece. Sure. And it worked out nicely. Travis kind of was doing his own thing. We went back and forth. Mm -hmm. Eventually, what happened is um, Aaron and Dustin and Peyton joined. Yep. Um, Peyton joined as a just n a not a permanent drummer. He was a but fill. But then he, then was... he just kind of worked out, and Travis, like, we were just like, well, I don't know. I, I guess, and I've never had this conversation with Travis, which I can't, so I can't assume things because I don't, if he ever listens to this, I don't want it to be weird for him. I made the assumption that he didn't want to be in a band with us anymore. Shelby and I had broken up by this point as okay. well. And so things, things in the band, there was a lot of tension. And I the thing it. was, is like, is like, you know, Shelby didn't want to not be in a band. I didn't not want, I didn't want to stop doing the band because I didn't have anything else to do. So we just kind of dealt with each other. Travis really took a lot of punishment being in that band with Shelby and I after we broke up. Yeah, because there's collateral all, damage. We were just fighting. We we did two tours. Um, where her and I were broken up and all we did was fucking fight the whole goddamn time. So he was basically taking the shrapnel. Between yeah, he the was two just, he was just sitting in the back. I was in the and, driver's and seat. Shelby was navigating and Travis is just sitting in the back seat. Well, we just 
fought with each other for no fucking reason all the time. Like, I don't even know why we did tours. And we weren't happy being in the band. And he, Travis is the most agreeable, nice guy ever. Yeah. So he was just sitting there probably like, hey guys. No, he got pretty fucking sick of it. He, he did there, he? there was some times where he, he really kind of got after us. Um, well, I'm sure because at a certain point he, I, I know Travis well enough where if he, if he breaks, he will eventually tell you if he needs to. Yeah, but, totally. But he's also like one of the nicest guys ever. So if he's sitting there just kind of seeing it go back and forth, I could see him having a really long leash for that. Yeah. And then once it happens where he's just like, nope, not good. Not good for me anymore. He turns into the guy from the Dane <coughs> Cook movie waiting where he's just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, like... That's it's a good call for him, but it, what I was trying to say is I think he, my assumption was like he doesn't want to deal with our shit anymore. Shelby's not sure. leaving. I'm not leaving. So Peyton was cool. He stepped in and and then I wrote, you know, um, a message to Travis and Travis didn't seem disagreeable on the the transition. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, I wish I still got to see Travis more because I do love Travis. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then slowly after that, we, I think we did one tour with, with me just singing Shelby on bass, um, Dustin and Aaron on guitars and Peyton on drums. Shelby left shortly after that cause she moved to the East coast. Then this whole new incarnation of Charlie Siren started we started like really hunkering down and trying to write the best songs we could. Right. And we came out with that one record and we did another EP as which, well. Which record was that? Mood Swings. Mood Swings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and, and, you know, we just, it was a, a big learning process and, um, you know, I, we did a lot, a lot of heavy, heavy touring from that record on and things just, we, I think we had this hope that things were going to pick up, that somebody would want to support us, and it, it never really happened. And and then we just started running into troubles with each other more and more. Um, I will, but we're, I still would, go, we're still all great friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I will tell you right now. So you guys did the This Is Home album, which was great. And then you did Mood Swings. And when I heard The Fabulist... yeah. I know I messaged you and I was just like, dude, this is next level shit. And I don't know how many messages like that you've gotten about songs you've written, but God damn, that song hit me like a fucking brick house. I'm glad you liked it. That was the last song we wrote for the record. Because I heard that and I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. I'm glad this is a great goddamn pop song. And the whole record was good. Mood Swings was good, but I was just like, Jesus Christ, they're hitting a stride, another stride, because you guys were a good band the whole time. And if anybody tries to tell you different, that's bullshit. But that song to me, it was just like, yeah, they have really great songs. They're a good pop punk band. And then I heard that song and I was just like, well, fuck, they're just a really good band. That distinction of pop punk in my mind, it was just... 
you know. And we thought that that's when we came out with that record, we were so sure in our minds that like, oh man, it's just gonna all be rolling after this. Like, and mood swings. We're gonna too. get it going. We spent so much money making the music videos for that record. Like we we shelled out all this cash that we didn't fucking have mm-hmm. to do that band. And when that record came out, we were like, this, th- there's no, if, if this doesn't happen, then it's not. And then it just kind of didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so proud of that record. You I think everybody be. is. I'm so proud of everything we did with that band. Um, but I think we're just in a weird time and place. And um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't. The thing is, nothing I do is really that calculated. I just do the things that I want to do sure. that are fun. And if it works out, it works out. I'm fortunate that just now the band that I'm in, it happens to be working really well. So what I was going to ask you, because I think it's a great a great question based off of that. You guys did everything with that record for Mood Swings and Charlie Siren that you thought you needed to do and you thought it was going to work. Yeah. What did you, did you learn anything specifically from what you did to that, to when you did uh, Tight Wire and now you're with, you know, Red Scare? What I learned, what did you learn anything from that, that kind of led you to that? Or was it just, you know, right place, right time and these people have common interest? No, it, it all weirdly, it, it worked out from Charlie's Siren. I, I had asked Paul, like I had met Paul um, be, at, at a show or something. He sure. played in the house a couple times as drones, just doing it. So before it was tight wire, it was called Drones. I remember. And I was in Drones, um, and it was very much Paul Kettler's band. But I remember him. he played my house a couple times acoustically, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and then he, um, I asked him to come sing a song with, with Charlie Siren for yeah. a show in the entry. After that, he asked me to play with him. And, and so I jammed with him. I actually jammed with him on drums first. Sure. And I just, I'm just not that great. So, so some, some way or the other, we let it go for a while, and then Paul came back to me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm jamming with Parker from from Dingus and Braver. Would you want to play bass?" So then that's kind of how the band came about. Is 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 Paul Paul built it up to be um, the three of us, and then as soon as I started playing with those guys, I was like, "It worked. This, this is a no brainer. Like everybody knows how to play their instrument." super well we've all toured and and i i had extensive knowledge through managing the triple rock and like i knew charlie siren needed to happen so i could learn all the mistakes all the things that you shouldn't do and that's that's an unfortunate thing to say but when you're in a band you need to be paying attention to the things that are working and the things that aren't and and I think there's people that are more calculated with what they do, and I think they learn quick. I'm not. I'm not a fast learner. I need to go make mistakes in order to be like, well, that clearly doesn't work. Like I'll gamble and I'll lose mm-hmm. 99% of the time, but I'll remember that one. What I did that one time, I won. Right. Um, and so with that knowledge, I feel like coming into 
a band where Paul is clearly a, an amazing songwriter. So it's not just all lying on me to be the songwriter, to be the graphic designer, to be the person that does all this shit. Um, and then the thing about Tightwire is it all works because we all like the same music. Right. We all like, there's no disagreement when we go and write a song. Mm-hmm. There's no weird things like, no, I wish, I wish we had more like double kick and made it more metal sounding. No, we all know we're a fucking pop punk band. We know exactly what we're doing. And the thing about it is, if we wanted to do something different, we would just go start another band. Right. And that's something I think people lose is like, you can be in more than one band. If you want to play blues, but you also want to play punk, mm-hmm. you, can try, you can try to put it together. But if everybody else in the band isn't vibing the, the heavy blues riffs mm-hmm. and, and, and being a punk band at the same time, yeah, that's a bad comparison because there's a lot of blues and punk is all right, 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 right. But it, jazz or whatever, like you could go be in a jazz band and you could be in a punk band. You can just be in two fucking bands. You just have to find people that like jazz and find people who like punk, and just do that because it works way better than trying to bring those two fucking things that are super opposing together. Right. Um, when you have members that aren't into that idea. Right. You know. Um, so anyways, Charlie Siren ended, I joined drones that worked really well and, and, and that turns into tight wire, which that is, turned into tight wire only because there's already a band called drones and we got a record deal and Toby from red scare came to us right before our record came out. And he's like, he's like, man, there's this band from the UK. They've been, they've been a band longer than you. They're way more established. They're like two things. He's like, two things are going to happen. There's two things in this scenario. Either either your record's going to take off. You're going to do well. These guys are going to catch wind that you're also called drones. You're going to have to change your name after people already like you. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to just fly under the radar. You're not going to sell that many records. No one's going to like you that much then the drones in the UK aren't going to notice. And then you can keep being drones, but you're not going to be that cool of a band. Yeah. Like, you're not I, gonna... I can't tell what's going to happen. I'm hoping that the first option happens, that you right. get so big that you have to change your name. And we were like, all right, well, then fuck it. We're going to change your name. And we thought so fucking hard on band names. We probably had a thousand band names and we never liked any of them. I don't, none of us, I think, really like Tightwire as a band. It just... It's just memorable, and we hated it the least. Oh. Is really what, what the band Cause, name is. Because I honestly, is outside looking in, I like it more than drones. I'm glad you do. So, uh, I remember the first time, I remember we first announced that we were changing our name to Tightwire, and the first person I talked to was my friend John. We were at um, at a bar in Uptown, and, I, and he was like, ah, oh, so you changed the name? And I was like... I was like, yeah, it was it was a tough decision, but I don't know. We thought we 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 needed to do it. We thought we needed to do it, and and I was like, what what do you what do you think, John? And he was like, do you want me to be honest? Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, and John will be honest. It fucking sucks. That's what he said to me. (laughs) It fucking sucks. And I was like, oh, I did not want to hear that from you. Yeah. Um, but it, it's worked out. No, I mean, the thing about band names, as long as it's not really fucking stupid, nobody cares. Well, nobody cares. The, the other thing too, 
is you can have a slightly dumb band name. Yeah. But if the material it's tied to is cool and it's good, yeah, that will shape that yeah. band name. Yeah, man. Um, there are plenty of stupid ass band names out there. Think about Kiss. That's this. That's the example. Is like how many dumb bands could have been Kiss, but the fact that it was Kiss. Kiss. It's Kiss. Kiss. Give me a Kiss. This is Paul Stanley. This is Gene Simmons, and we're we're Kiss. Isn't Gene um, Simmons historically a fucking asshole? Yes. That's great. Yes. But anyhow, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I really like the band title. Um, well, that's that's just a really good um. It's a great overview. Is there a, what are you listening to now? Like um, what's, what's in your car stereo now, your big ass van? What are you listening to? I know I, I do. That's another thing is like when I got the van, I thought it was so cool. I wanted to do it cause I wanted the band to have a van. <laughs> now having a van as a 30 year old is fucking creepy. And it also kind of just sucks driving a goddamn van around. I will tell you right now though. As a guy who goes and sees dead shows, yeah, I you wish, wish you had a van. I wish I had a van so Get I could van. just crash, dude, in the camping area in the back of my van. But I always think about you the know, times where I'm not crashing in the back of my van at a dead show, where I'm just driving around Richfield, Minnesota, in a in huge, a in a huge sixteen passenger van. Yeah, it sucks. All the other times, the the times that you have a van when you need it, it's the coolest thing ever. 90% of having a van and not having a secondary car sucks ass. <laughs> um, but you could easily, dude, you could buy a van. I bought that van for like 4,000 bucks, man. Oh, like, I know. And that was like, it had like 20, 25,000 miles. You could buy a good van for like 1,500 bucks. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to the deluxe edition of Master Volume by um, The Dirty Nil. Okay. Um, which I think everybody should listen to that band because they're really, really, really good. Um, I'll, 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 you know, Van Halen and Blink and bands like that have always kind of been in my queue. Constant rotation. Um, if we're talking, are we talking about 2019 releases? Or are we just talking about just in whatever general? is on your um, I like, Rolodex? Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Culture Abuse. Um, they're a band from California. They just put out a record. Well, they put out the record in 2018, but Bay, Bay Dream by Culture Abuse is a fucking ripper. And by the way, these are all bands that I think you should listen to. Oh, um, Kyle, uh, you should listen to White Reaper. Have you listened okay. to White, Re- White I Reaper? I not. White Reaper put out a record um, this year, and I can't remember what it's called. Um, it, I've listened to it a couple of times. It's very good. Um but it's it's not as good as is um my favorite record that they put that they have it came out in 2017 it's called the world's best american band okay and that record is where you should start with that band and i think you'd even like the new stuff mm-hmm. more it just that first record listening to it it's like man you just like there's so much pressure for bands when you come out with that fucking great record, yeah, if to follow you it, up. to follow it sucks. But the 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 their following records are amazing as well. Um, What's well, it's True Detective first season of True Detective? Holy fuck, this is great! Yeah, I've been writing it my whole life. Second season of True Detective. When the fuck was that? 
Well, you that's know, the thing. Is you like, spent a yeah, year you versus spent, your whole life. You spent years making songs, and then you spent another year trying to follow it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, I just put the best shit that I had all on a record. Everybody loves it. Okay, well, can I write that quality in a in a in a year or two? It's a lot to ask. Of it someone. is a lot, you know. And and bands are very much expected to put out their best shit. In, you know, and now Every we we time. live in a we live in an age of content. You have to put out content. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas one thing about that's nice about Tightwire is like, yeah, we we're trying, but we also kind of don't give a fuck. Ooh, um, <laughs> we also don't really give that much of a fuck. Right. You know, Hot Dad. You listen to Hot Dad? I have not, dude. Listen to Hot Dad. The the best recommendation you've ever given to me that stuck with me the most is um god dizzy on the come down by oh um gosh what is the band name dizzy on the come down okay uh um, i haven't listened to it in a long time so i don't know it's either it's so freaking good um uh turnover the turnover that record with dizzy on the come down is so goddamn good the whole record their new record's a little weird to me yeah, like I, I think they were trying to do something a little more yeah. complex, and it just didn't really land with me. Yeah, but. what's what's weird is is like, man, that yeah. The, the, so the record's called Peripheral Vision, and they actually have two new records since then. Mm-hmm. But when I first started listening to Turnover, they were a straight pop punk band, right? Um, and then whatever something happened in that band where they just totally changed it. And uh, they were following to me. To me, if I was to speculate, they're following trends. It, we, it feels probably. to me like yeah, which is cool. But I, Peripheral I Vision is a great fucking record. It's so good. it's a super good record. Um, Julian Baker is always going to be on my playlist. I just love crying, and I, she her songs make me cry a lot. So listen to Julian Baker. Listen to all of her stuff. She, she, she literally, she put out, um, I, you know what, that, that's another problem with, with like Spotify is I don't remember record titles the same way. Like there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of times where, where I'll be like talking to my fiance Ellie and mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, what, what, what album or, or what song do you want to play? And I'm like, I want to listen to blah, blah, blah. It's on the record, blah, blah, blah. That came out that this, it came out in 94. It's track two on this record by this band. And I know all that shit. Now I don't. That's the thing about Spotify right. is like, I just fucking listen to records. And then I remember the song titles now. And I don't know why that happened, but sprained, a- sprained ankle came out in 2015 by Julian Baker. She put, uh, turn out the lights on tw- in 2017, both records are equally amazing. Mm-hmm. She followed. She followed up on her records. Like a motherfucker. It's really good. Um, so I don't know. That's probably the top shit that I I listen to. Oh, Casey Musgraves. Casey Musgraves. It's, I fucking love Casey Musgraves. You know, episode one, Nick Costa. When I asked him this question, he was like, "Casey Musgraves." Can't Dude, I I know I know because I've talked to Nick Costa about Casey Musgraves a bunch. It's it's a universal, just amazing album. Well, we when we discussed it, we were talking about a uh, Golden Hour specifically. That album. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's her. That's her latest. But 
But you know, I know who, it's good beyond that, but that album is something you, else. You know who showed me Casey Musgraves? He's a Travis Brees. I'm not surprised. In 2013, way back before she was big. I mean, she was she was doing well, but that not that, in our scene of that, people. Not in that. Not in our scene of nowhere near. But wasn't a household name. But she had so same much. trailer, different park in 2013. Is when that album came out. Uh, Travis being the country boy he is mm-hmm. knew all about it we listened to it often in the van when we were on yep. tour so it was Casey Musgraves and then Shelby and I fighting a lot <laughs> um, and yeah everything that Casey Musgraves has done um, has been fucking amazing Golden Hours great pageant materials great same trailer different park even her Chris- Christmas shit like she just did a Christmas show and had a bunch of features on it yeah like big names dude she's doing it right and I'm so stoked for her she is awesome yeah I love I'm a big Casey Musgraves fan yeah it's very good so for Tightwire what would you say um, the song that you would want to represent Tightwire as a band would be Um, I don't know man it's um, it's tough. Uh, I mean, our biggest, uh, our, our hit, um, is six feet deep. It's track two on our, our record that came out last year. Um, I, I think, I think that's still my favorite song that we're playing. I wish that I could just say all the new songs we have because I mean, I, I are they coming that, out on a future release? Yeah, we're going to put something out in 2020. So there'll be something out from us in 2020. It might be an EP. It might even be a full length. I think we're trying for a full length. Um, and we have a ton of ideas, but we have about six or seven new songs. Um, I mean, it's more of the same, but... It, it's grown a little bit, and I feel good about it. We haven't shown them to the label. We haven't shown them to anybody. So, I mean, people could say they're dog shit. Yeah. I mean, we when we came out with, when we put out the demo that got us our 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 uh, signing with Red Scare, mm-hmm. we thought those songs sucked. We really? recorded them. We were excited about them. But after we were done recording, we were like, not, you know what? This is just going to be a fun band. And then within 24 hours, we got our Red Scare deal. Wow. Because I sent them out to some some people that were kind of in the scene that that knew people. Within tw- By waking up the next day, I had already had an email from Red Scare saying, I love these songs. Let's put it out. Um, How many songs were on that release? The demo was only five songs. Okay. So they were like, well, we want to put out a full-length record. So we took a bunch of old drone songs. Mm-hmm. We kind of rewrote some of them, but a lot of them we just re-recorded. And so that the thing that sucks about that record is that re- record was recorded in three different locations okay. at three different times. Because it was like we recorded five songs with Xander. Mm-hmm. He mixed it. That was our demo. All those songs went on. They just got remixed by Matt Allison. Then the rest of the song, then we recorded five more because I thought I had recordings of three other songs. Mm -hmm. So we recorded five more. We recorded those, finished those, sent them off. They got mixed by the same guy. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, okay, cool. Let me find these other three to send off to him. Oh, shit. I don't have them. I accidentally deleted them. 
Oh, fuck. You didn't so, save the session folder. I didn't. I deleted Walter him. Walter Chancellor you know rolling in his I know. whatever well, he is in. He's not He's not dead. No, but, I was... Um, uh, I actually ended up finding him later, <laughs> but we completely re-recorded the songs first before I found him. So, <laughs> so then they were recorded a them? third time. We recorded the last three songs, and and Matt Allison did a great job. I mean, he's you know he's mixed Alkaline Trio's albums. He's mixed all these great albums. Um, so he did a great job, and you can't really tell that we recorded. Half of it in the I basement, half of it to, in a nice studio. I would have never really been what able to tell you yeah. that. Yeah, our our record sounded very different. All those songs, the raw tracks, sounded very fucking different, and he made them all sound like one cohesive, co- yeah, album. cohesive record. Um, but no, the new stuff I feel good about. I mean, maybe I'm just sick of playing the shit be. that we have. But six feet deep, I think, is a good representation of our band. If you don't. That, that's the song that everyone loves. If you don't like that song, if you listen to it, you're not probably going to like anything else we do. Yeah. Um, Dragon Me is a good one. That's a good one. I found myself really... Uh, yeah, what, it's a really digestible like? listen, the whole thing. like From start to finish, how many tracks are on it? 13. 13. It's 18 minutes long. And it's... It's very quick. Yeah. And it's all very cohesive and it's engaging. I found myself really liking Pentagram Tattoo. Okay, yeah. Which is, I feel random. And when I listened to it, I was just like, I don't know where this is coming from as a song. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like something that would be autobiographical, but I guess I don't know Paul or uh, Parker. That was a that was a song Paul didn't like that much. I pushed for that song to be. I was That, that song was on the original demo. So for me, that song, and to me, I listen to it and I'm like, this doesn't feel autobiographical. It feels like just a song because, and like I said, I don't know Parker or Paul very well. Yeah. So I hear that song and I'm just like, you know, it just feels like they set out to write a good pop punk song or pop song in general yeah. and they fucking did it. Yeah. That's and all, it that's feels all Paul. real, yeah, you know? Paul. That's a Paul song for sure. And it feels, it feels you know, authentic. Oh, but, uh, anyhow, so perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a very fun one to put out because I feel like I've never had this conversation with you and I don't know that. Yeah. Has, have a lot of people, have you gone? No, but that's the nice thing about podcasting. That's, that's kind of out there now is, is you get to dive in. Deep. You're creating some content which feels good. If you, it, it's like it's the, the nice thing about podcasts are when you're making them, you're you're talking to your friends or you're right. talking to people about things that probably wouldn't get talked about one on one. But we we have these microphones in front of our face, so right. we need to talk. We need to say something. And the and internet is full of people who want to consume things. Totally. And, um, you know, some of them even want to hear about why Why are these songs happening? Why do they exist? And, you know, how did they get to this place? So. Yeah, and I don't like to talk about this stuff. Right. But thank you for having me. Yeah. This has been really, really fun. I'm glad that we did this. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, I hope uh, you keep it going. I will certainly try. <laughs> See you, buddy.
Yeah.